Testing, testing, one, two, one, two. All right, this seems to be working. And whoever goes too deep into this has his share of that curse. No matter how bad things get, there's something good out there. The people know the hero who saved them. The hero can be anyone. Welcome world, welcome to Deeper Than That. My name is Chris and I'll be the spirit guide. I'll be the voice that takes you into the stories you're about to hear. I'll be the guy talking a lot. I'll be the voice that takes you just a little deeper. Even though this is the first episode, I'll save you the boredom of a lengthy intro and just get right into why I'm here and why you should keep listening. Maybe you'll stick around. So here it goes. I'm going to tell you a story. A story about heroes. You may even say superheroes. But first, just erase the entire idea of heroes you have from your mind. Because the story I'm going to tell you is my attempt at defining heroism. It's my attempt at figuring out what are the ingredients of real-life heroes. Not Hollywood superheroes, but actual people who act and live heroically. For those of you already rolling your eyes and thinking this might sound cliche, just stick with me because the story you're about to hear left me with no other words but heroic. So I figured I had to use it. I brought this idea of heroes up to my friend Pia Valbuena a couple weeks ago. For me, a hero has always just been someone who does things for others. And I, I think that's that was my perspective of a hero my whole life growing up. Like anyone who is willing to go out of their way for someone else. But now I think... I also would then include to my definition, like someone who's willing to go out of their way for themselves. Um, Cause I, I think that when, when I think of a hero, I think of people who, I think of a very selfless act, but I also think that you have to be selfishly okay with yourself to be able to be selfless for others. Does that make sense? Bia knew where I should look if I wanted to find real life heroism. In the city of Lake Worth, Florida, just a couple hours drive from where Bia and I grew up, there's a small community center. It's called the Guatemalan Maya Center. The center provides resources and support to migrant workers in the area who are predominantly Maya families from Guatemala. There's also a child care center there called the Escuelita Maya that helps take care of kids of farm workers. And it also runs a pretty great summer camp in partnership with my old high school. We'll get to that later. Bia and my younger brother have both worked with the Escuelita Maya for several years. They both agreed there was someone they met there who I should definitely talk to. Someone who might help enlighten me on my working definition of heroism. And not by telling me, but by actually showing me through her own story. My name is Patrona. I'm 20 years young, born and raised in Lake Worth, Florida. I am Mayan and also the first generation in my family, and I'm currently a student at Palm Beach State College. Now, before I get to this next part, just in advance, excuse some of the sound quality you're going to hear. I was still figuring out how to do everything from a distance, and my mic wasn't really cooperating, so thanks, COVID. Petrona is Guatemalan Maya, and not only is she a first-generation American, but she's also the first one in her family to go to college. Now, I don't know about you, but that statement alone is already quite heroic. But as the adage goes, and by adage I mean what Captain Jack Sparrow says in Pirates of the Caribbean, it's not the destination so much as the journey. Think of any heroic story you've read or watched on a screen. Think of a superhero movie, or better yet, think of the ancient Greek idea of heroism. Even thousands of years ago, they had similar ideas of what makes a hero. The epics usually involved some courageous and noble character who faced a seemingly insurmountable challenge, and whose heroic qualities were often brought about by that challenge. These characters, like Odysseus, separated by years and distance from his family, only emerged victorious after having submerged to very deep, very dark places. From what she told me, Petrona faced a lot of challenges growing up in a small migrant community, 
that was surrounded by towns that weren't always accommodating. One of those challenges was language. Here in the United States, it's different, especially since communicating is very hard for our parents. Like me, when I was seven years old, like I had to start translating and my English wasn't very fluent since Acateco is my first language. So we would either like get bullied in school for not speaking English well, even though we weren't immigrants. Everyone in Escrita Maya at that time came from, their parents came from Guatemala and we all grew up together going to the same elementary and learning English together because our first language is Acateco or Canjobal. And so we had to learn English and knowing that Spanish wasn't our first language because we would get mistaken for being either Mexican or our first language being Spanish. So we learning English was very like hard for us since we were first generation. South Florida is considered a pretty diverse place, but most people speak Spanish, English, maybe Haitian Creole or Portuguese. But only speaking one of 28 indigenous Maya languages adds another layer of challenges. On top of being mistaken for Mexican or speaking Spanish, Petrona told me there was also just flat out discrimination, especially when she stepped outside of her small community. Racism is something we fear, especially around here in Lake Worth. There's um, many Trump supporters out here and at my job, there's many that go there and I get like, I say this, like racially profiled by them and like in general it's scary especially for my parents because sometimes i'm not there with them well especially my mom since i'm not always with her it's it's scary to see that she might not make it home one day or she'll come home like just sad or because of the racism going around the Guatemalan Maya Center and the surrounding areas have a pretty tumultuous but extremely unique history. I'll get to that. But in many ways, these problems Petrona mentions are the tip of the iceberg. The Guatemalan Maya Center and specifically the Escuelita Maya were in place to alleviate some of those challenges and obstacles faced by the migrant community. The center helps with pretty much any challenges they face, whether it be prenatal care, education, child care, or even legal assistance. The center really responds to the current issues that are facing this population. So. It's hard to it's hard to nail down, but if you're if you're looking for what the center's doing, then look to the problems that are in the community, and that's what the center is trying to solve. Those those are the problems that the, the center is trying to solve. Whatever the indigenous people of of Lake Worth are going through. The voice you just heard was Tim Gamwell. He's a teacher at Immaculata LaSalle High School in Miami. You know the high school I mentioned earlier. That's my alma mater. Tim's connection to the Guatemalan Maya Center run deep. When he was in high school, also at Immaculata LaSalle. He volunteered with the Service and Leadership of Today and Tomorrow Club, or SALT with two T's for short. The club would also host summer camps and volunteer opportunities in conjunction with the Guatemalan Maya Center. Anyway, to make a long story short, after college and after a brief stint teaching in Baltimore, Tim returned to South Florida. He then started working at the Guatemalan Maya Center full-time. He was a right-hand man for a Catholic priest named Father Franco Lachlan. That's the guy that helped start the center, which originally aimed at helping mothers with prenatal care back in the early 90s. Now don't forget that name, Father Frank. I know I keep telling you I'll get to that, but this story has a lot of facts, so Father Frank happens to be a pretty vital one. You'll hear that name again sometime later. You might be listening to this wondering what all this has to do with heroism. Well, the fact is, what I found out through Petrona's story is that heroes, in real life, 
don't arise from some mysterious force. They don't come from Krypton or get bit by a radioactive spider. They don't pop out of nowhere. What I mean to say is, the Guatemalan Maya Center may well be the fire where a hero was forged, or even many heroes. Excuse the horrible analogy, but it's true. The Escuelita Maya is a big part of that fire. Salt's work has always been about the children of the, of the Maya, right? These, the kids of these farm workers that the center was serving. And in 1998, the center began two after-school programs, um, which are called uh, the Escuelita Maya program, right? So they began with that prenatal care and then started the after-school programs to deal with the systemic failure of the schools to educate these kids. It probably goes without saying that the Escuelita Maya helped a lot of kids from a young age, including Petrona. But the Escuelita only works with young kids. The Escuelita Maya ends at fifth grade. I don't know how much you remember about your middle school experience, but it has not gotten better. And if you go to middle school in Lake Worth, it is, it is not, uh, you know, the ideal. So, so it's a, it's a tough community. It's a tough situation. So my high school experience, like, was not the best. I made many wrong choices that could have made me struggle now. Specifically with my class, like the class of 2018, I had a lot of peer pressure and there was a lot of competition and negative vibes. Like, and for my safety, like I can't really go into too much deep, like into too deep into it. Like if I wish I could go back, I could change everything, every little thing about my high school experience. Petrona really didn't want to get specific about her time in high school. And let me be clear before I play this next part. I have no idea what Petrona dealt with in high school, and neither I nor Tim Gamwell can speak to that. But I did ask Tim what he saw and what some of the kids at the Escolita have to deal with from a young age. I know earlier, maybe a couple decades ago at this point, um, Lake Worth was, was sort of referred to, like one of the, the nicknames that it earned was West, West Nam, right? Like Vietnam. Uh, because of so much gun violence. Um, and there was a huge crackdown by the ATF on um, some organized criminal activity, like huge gangs that were there. And so that problem changed a little bit and became more um, like local distribution of drugs instead of like larger, like regional gangs. And, and so you had a lot of smaller drug dealers but then that started to evolve again, where they were recruiting younger and younger children to be a part of these, a part of these gangs um, that were just more local, right? Instead of like a larger, um, like Latin Kings or uh, like the Sixth Street Gang, which I think is a Haitian gang. And um, you have, you have now um, like smaller groups of people, but they're recruiting kids from as young as 10 years old. Um, and that is just an ever present problem where the elementary schools, uh, you know, are concerned about, about drugs and about, about gang recruitment. Um, and that's just not, you know, it's just not a normal experience for these kids. And you have isolated and alienated kids whose parents are working late hours, working on the weekends, who aren't there to supervise them 100% of the time. Um, and so you have vulnerable kids getting picked up by, by gangs who are, are preying on them. Um, and then of course, what comes with that is violence and drug use. 
But then on top of that, you add uh, the constant fear of immigration. And so all these problems really just layer on top of each other. Um, and it results in, ki in alienated kids being extremely vulnerable to uh, food insecurity, to gang violence, to drug use, child abuse, just all these kinds of problems um, compounded by the fact that either they or their parents are undocumented. I think it's extremely heroic when someone overcomes the colossal systemic failures of society, when society fails to protect and provide for its members. I think it's heroic when someone still prevails despite these obstacles. For Petrona, all the challenges of language and of racism and lack of opportunity, these were all massive obstacles. These were like the monsters Odysseus had to fight. There were the Cyclops or the Scylla and Charybdis. And if you don't know who that is, those are just the monsters that tried to eat him or drown him on his journey. But still, these obstacles were not Petrona's biggest challenge. They weren't the ocean that divided a family. Like I said before, it seems like sometimes it takes immense adversity before a hero understands his or her true potential. At least that's true in the epics. Petrona's now in her second year of college. But for most of her high school years, she didn't even see college as a viable option until she faced her greatest challenge. The biggest challenge I faced was my father's deportation, my senior year of high school. Um, I was in the middle, it was like homecoming season, Thanksgiving season, um, when he was arrested for driving without a license. And from there, his whole process in the system made me like get depressed and suicidal because he came from a country and gave his future it all to be here. And knowing that he's not here to watch me like graduate, turn 18, going to college made me like feel like I shouldn't do this because he's not here. Like. I can probably do something else that he'll, that'll make him proud other than, you know, just graduate. Just before she graduated, Petrona's dad was sent back to Guatemala, a country he'd left nearly 20 years earlier. But for Petrona, it wasn't the first time her father had drifted away. Before, my dad was a drunkie, like he wouldn't be home most of the time. He wouldn't drink around the soap. It's just that he would never be around us. Like, if it was our birthday, he would just send money for my mom and she would like buy us a cake and that was just it. But after that, he went to like a retreat for church and he started changing. And literally throughout that time, while he was changing and becoming more religious, that's when all this happened. Having her father stolen, just as he was becoming her father again, pushed Petrona and her family to near breaking point. My siblings were more affected than I was because they stopped like eating, they stopped wanting to come out and they didn't want to go to school anymore. So watching them go through it with me was very hard and especially my mom because I couldn't get a job since I had to look out for my siblings and in our area it's not very safe for them to stay by themselves. So, and being the oldest here, I have to obviously look out for them. And my mom had to get two jobs and she got very, very stressed. And it came to a point where she wanted to go to Guatemala so we can all be together again. But 
like through the help with the church and all that, like they told us, you know, like everything is gonna take time. So we all decided to still still stay here and get an attorney, but sadly, um, it couldn't work out. Before I move on to the next part of the story, I wanted context. It is 2020, so the issue of immigration and deportation is riddled with political baggage. So I have to say that what I've heard and what I've read about the immigration and asylum systems in our country and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, is full of human rights violations, racism, and atrocities. But I will emphasize what I just said, heard and read. I'm admittedly pretty far away from this issue. I asked Petrona about deportation and she said, yeah, it's pretty common, but most kids don't talk about it. I also asked Tim Gamwell about it too. And while, of course, he's never lost a relative to deportation, he has been on the front lines, advocating for migrant workers and their children. He's come face to face with the issue of deportation over and over again. I wanted to know what the immigration system was really like and who is responsible. We could see a lot of kids around the 2016 election that were starting in the Escuelitas to use, um, you know, the greatest insult they could make was, you know, you're a Trump supporter, right? That was the, the insult they would, they would lob at one another. Um, and, but before that, deportations un, under Obama were higher than they are under Trump. But you have other, other factors, right? Like just it's in the news all the time, this, the, the forced separation of, of families um, under Trump. It, it's definitely become something that's more um, um, like a like terror. There are kids whose parents uh, were separated from them at the border. Now, it's not in the same percentage as, you know, it's, it's a small percentage of the people, but it's happened in Lake Worth. It's happened. We know kids who are separated from their parents. Uh, we also know of, you know, parents who are separated or, or sorry, parents who are detained and then moved so that they're even farther away from their family, right? And like, what object is that but, you know, uh, intimidation that you can't, you cannot be close to the family that you have because these are procedural detentions, right? You're waiting a court date, um, in detention. So, uh, in effect, like this is a, a civil case. And so there's, there's no reason that they should be treated, um, and, and subjected to the, the same kind of, um, punishment as like a maximum security prisoner. Um, and so you, you take like during the hurricanes, you had, you had some people in detention who were moved to detention centers in Texas and their families weren't notified. So all of a sudden your dad is here in Broward and then he's gone and you don't know where he is, right? Like just awful stuff. Um, families who, who have um, court dates, but then court dates are moved and they're not notified. And so as soon as you miss a court date, you are now scheduled for deportation. Like there's all these kinds of problems. Uh, families who are picked up in the courthouse, we have one man who went to go um, and pay a bill and he was picked up in the courthouse by immigration, even though that that's not you know the jurisdiction of CBP, right? That should be the, the jurisdiction of of the sheriff's office picked up by immigration. He was taken to an office and he, he called his wife who happened to be in the center crying, right? About this, this very incident. And he calls his wife and says he's in the custody of immigration. 
And uh, we get on the phone and start talking to him and talking to the immigration officer. Um, and the center, you know, has a, a relationship with some attorneys. And so they sent, um, you know, we got the fax number and we sent over a document uh, for him to, to have representation. Um, and the immigration officer hangs up on us. And when we try to return the call, we get nothing. We wind up making a report, uh, a complaint to the DOJ, complaint to the sheriff's office, complaint to the local immigration office. We get a call back about an hour later, and he had been presented um, a document covered by a blank sheet of paper, and he was told to sign on the dotted line, right? But the entire document was covered by a blank sheet of paper, so he couldn't see what he was signing. Yeah, and he was told, oh, this is what they sent you, sign this. And that was a voluntary deportation. So he's being tricked into signing a document he couldn't see. It turns out he also couldn't read, right? Couldn't read and write in English or in Spanish. And so he was being bullied. He was being extorted into signing this document so that he would be released only to, to find out he had signed his own deportation. Um, and so we eventually got that sorted out and, and got him to sign the right document so that he could have a lawyer. Um, you know, but as he's leaving, um, they give him back, they give him back a stack of cash that they had taken from him, right. That they had, uh, basically robbed from him when they picked him up in the courthouse. Like what kind of system are we living in? If not a system based on, on terror, on intimidation, right? It's not based on the law. It's based on uh, instilling fear in a community to control a, a, a hostage workforce. So it, it's something, you know, it's, it's a really difficult situation um, for immigrants from before Trump was elected, right? But it's definitely become more specific and targeted since 2016. I can't pretend to know the specific circumstances of Petrona's father's deportation, but the separation of a family by thousands of miles is an atrocity, and I can't fathom what that's like. Something that Father Frank has said a couple of times, which I think is, is for me, been a really eye-opening idea, is that, that Florida is still a slave state, right? We, we have a captive labor force, um, even, even, you know, like work visas. When you apply for a work visa, uh, you are, your employer is applying for you. And so you cannot, even if you're being abused as, as an employee, you cannot apply for another job, right? You can't quit your job, uh, because then your visa is expired and you're going to be deported. Um, and so, that, on top of the fact that there's this huge undocumented labor force actively recruited by, um, by these companies, whether it's uh, construction or the hotel industry, right, cleaning and maintenance of hotels, and they often sub subcontract out, right, um, landscaping, uh, you know, what gardening and nurseries, um, even people who are who are like working subcontract sub, subcontracted by the government to do landscaping uh, along highways and waterways um, and that doesn't even include the biggest one which is which is farm work right if you take the politics and even the context away something terrible happened here petrona's father was taken away from her 
This is the point in the hero story where the hero is faced with somewhat of a fork in the road. The hero is at the deepest lows and not sure whether to continue or even try. This is like Odysseus, almost being home and then getting sucked all the way back to Calypso's island. There's this quote I stumbled upon while brainlessly scrolling Twitter one day, and it stuck with me. Apparently it's from a book called Power vs. Force by David Hawkins. I've never read it, but the quote goes like this. It is not the facts of one's environment, but one's attitude towards them that determines whether they will be the occasion for defeat or the inspiration for victory. Keep that phrase in mind when you hear this next part. Petrona had the help of therapists and social workers thanks to the Guatemalan Maya Center, but she was growing up and it was up to her what her future looked like. Here she is describing a pivotal moment. So when my mom would come home from work, she would talk to her mom and in the living room, like on the call, phone call. And I would sometimes like wake up out of nowhere and my mom, ever since my dad got deported, my mom will only get like three to four hours of sleep because she gets very paranoid. And so since then she would like stay up, talk to her mom. And when I, like I just came out the room, I just woke up out of nowhere and she was on the phone and she was just crying to her mom telling her that I'm, I'm scared. Like, I don't know what is going to happen from here on now because how am I going to raise my kids by myself? And when she said that, like, I realized I'm here, like, if she came here with nothing, she has to have came here for something. So it made me realize, like, well, my education is going to be the most important thing in my life right now. Because when my dad was here, he provided us everything. So he told us, like, you know, I want you to go to school. I don't want you to work. If you ever need anything, just let me know. I'll give you the money or we'll go buy it. It was, he was always like that. It was never, if you want something, go work for it. It was always, we're handed things we needed. So when my mom was by herself, I realized like I can help her and get this degree and then we can move on and become people that her past generations never had the opportunity to be in the United States. If she came here with nothing, it must have been for something. That phrase stuck with me since I spoke to Petrona. I can't help but think of the small obstacles or inconveniences I've faced in my own life and imagine how powerful it would be to use them to propel me forward instead of to set me back. In her senior year of high school, Petrona started putting in the work to get to college, but it still felt like a daunting dream. She couldn't apply for financial aid because her father wasn't there. In 2018, the Guatemalan Maya Center, with the help of the Salt Club I mentioned earlier, put together a scholarship for Petrona. It was the first of its kind. All four years of college will be paid for. This is a commitment that the alumni of ILS, who are members of the SOC Club, has made, have made, and they absolutely are going to honor it. And they're counting on you to do your part, right? That you will, do, you will get good grades. And in fact, Lauren is super serious about it, so she's gonna have you sign a contract and we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna be looking at your grades every semester. But they will also be there to help you with anything that you need, right? So you too are going to be looking at your grades. And the same thing with you, anything you need to help you get through college that your scholarship doesn't cover, we'll be there to help you. Like I said before, the center is the fire that forged the hero. 
Still, Petrona beat the odds and made the choice to make her challenges the occasion for victory rather than the occasion for defeat. But it definitely wasn't easy. And now she's having to help her siblings make that same choice. I have four siblings. I'm the second oldest. And the one after me, she's 16. And she's going into junior year. And my sister is after him. She's 15. And then my younger brother is after her and he's 13. So they're all in high school now. My younger brother is going into high school at the end of this month. And being the role model for them, I decided to step up the game and go to a, an academy that's far from our house that's not local because our community isn't the best, especially now in this generation. With all the children growing up, there's a lot of peer pressure. And I didn't want them to go through what I did going into the high school in our area. So we went to sign them up at an academy. And that academy is basically careers that help you. It's a, it's a high school that helps you get into the career you want. So my sister's in the cosmetology program. My brother that's going into junior year, he's in the film and film and broadcasting, and then my younger brother is going into auto body. So all of them now like want to pursue something different. Not only does a hero gain power through extreme adversity like Petrona did, but a hero also turns around and lifts people up. A real hero, like a superhero in a movie, uses their power to save. And that is what Petrona is doing, not just with her siblings. She's currently majoring in social work at Palm Beach State College and wants to one day come back and help her community. So when my dad got deported, the help that I received from the social workers and my therapist, I realized like, wow, this is if I go into this path and this career, like it'll help so many people in my community. And knowing that I know another language besides English and Spanish, it'll help like twice as more than the help that they receive. Petrona said if she doesn't end up working in her community, she'd want to help reunite kids in detention facilities with their families. To me, it seems like Petrona the hero is just getting started and she's been swimming against a strong current. The current is the system that's waged against people like Petrona and her community. But now it seems like she's finally getting out of the water and can help her friends and family fight through the current, as well as hopefully in the future change the system so there is no current. Part of being out of that current also means she gets to look back at the community she grew up in from the outside. She said she's proud to call herself Mayan when meeting new people in college. After high school, I started embracing my culture. And it's not that I've been embarrassed, but like, been like I've been more of shy of embracing my culture because it's not common out here and like I've doubted that people would even pay attention or I'd be made fun of because of what I wear so where I come from we wear um, traditional clothing called um, traje tipico so last year there was a like a not a, not, I don't want to say a pageant, but something like a pageant in my community through the Guatemala Maya Center. And there was eight candidates, and we all represented different parts of Guatemala. And I didn't want to do it at first, but I was like, with the help of friends, they told me, like, you can do it, we'll support you. And the day came, and then I, we had to go all dance, like, around the place and then the votes were per dollar 
And with the help of some of the SALT alumni and the current SALT counselors, they raised money for me and they put it in for me. And I won the term for 2019 and 2020 for the Mind Princess. That has helped me so much, like embracing my culture and not really caring what people have to say about me now. Despite the setbacks of the coronavirus, Petrona is just getting started, and she agrees. In 2020, she's already come a long way. Petrona in 2020 is someone who has learned from her mistakes and is day by day learning new things and changing as a person and bettering herself and building up my broken family with the love of God and cherishing every moment spent together because now nowadays um, you never know if tomorrow you'd wake up and see another day with the pandemic going on and that anything is possible because you can't really doubt yourself without knowing what the future holds for you. 2020 Petrona is also selling some pretty awesome handmade resin products like keychains and Polaroid pictures alongside her sister. You can check out their business on Instagram. It's at resin by Petrona, one word. Before I leave you, I want to let you know what's to come. Like I mentioned earlier, heroes usually aren't made alone. The Guatemalan Maya Center is full of people trying to help, trying to fill the gaps of a severely broken system. Petrona's story introduced me to a whole network of heroic people. And it's also taught me that part of being a hero is having a team. So in the next episode, I'll talk to some of the members that made up Petrona's team. And I'll explore the heroic story that came before Petrona. You'll be surprised to hear how a Guatemalan Maya community center even got to Lake Worth in the first place. So stay tuned for next week's episode of Deeper Than That. Hope you enjoyed listening and I'll catch you next time. And whoever goes too deep into this has his share of that no curse. No matter how bad things get, there's something good out there. The people know the hero who saved them. The hero can be anything.